Hello and welcome to Eureka, the show that gets under the skin of science in a good way as we invite a new expert every week to help us answer one of science's most interesting questions. I'm Rick Edwards. And I'm Dr. Michael Brooks. Are we going to drop the doctor at some point? I don't mind it. I mean, I kind of feel like it's supposed to like give me some credibility. I mean, I don't, you don't need any, obviously. I mean, I don't, no, I'm very happy. With no credibility. <laughs> I mean, I literally use it in the same way that the Reverend Richard Coles uses his reverend. It's just like, you know, oh, it's, here's, my, here's my USP. I'm a vicar. Is, it, is he still a reverend? Well, he's retired. Like practicing. He, he's retired. I know that because he's recently moved to near me. But you kind of, I suppose you stick with it, don't you? I think once a reverend, always a yeah. reverend. Yeah. And the same with doctor. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's nothing nothing to do with, you know, wanting to appear smarter than everyone else. Of course it's not. No. Of course it's not. But, uh, I mean, being smarter than everyone else um, is part of today's topic, because we're going to talk about AI. Oh, yeah. And we're basically going to ask whether we can sustain this kind of relationship that we have at the moment, or whether we're creating something that will outsmart us. I mean, outsmart you. Obviously, I'm a doctor, so it's going to be different. <laughs> so the time scale is slightly different. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So without really giving this any, I mean, obviously I've thought about this stuff before. Endlessly, and we talk about yeah, this a lot, talks, don't we? But my sort of uh, knee-jerk response is AI will outsmart humans probably fairly soon, but only in specific areas. So I think there might be areas in which we always retain an advantage or a, or a kind of uniqueness, I think. Yeah, I'm interested. You're not. Yeah. You're not convinced by that, are you? Well, no, because I've done my research for this topic. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fine. <laughs> Throughout history, we've set ourselves apart from other species by using and developing tools to aid our way of life and change our environment. From the first primitive hominid who picked up a rock and fashioned it into a tool, to Charles Babbage's pioneering foray into computer science and Alan Turing's groundbreaking work on artificial intelligence, it's safe to say. We're a pretty nifty bunch, and we're developing at breakneck speeds. AI is taking more and more control over our day-to-day life, telling us what to watch, what to buy, and even what to eat. But as much as we love these machines, and it's hard to imagine life without them, are they becoming so sophisticated that they're starting to harm us? Could a machine take your job? Unexpected item in bagging area. May I be of some assistance? Or learn to discriminate against you. There are some harrowing possibilities. So that's why this week we're asking, will humans always be able to outsmart AI? So obviously we've got an expert to help us answer today's question. And uh, in this episode, we'll be speaking with Junaid Mubin. Uh, I should say Dr. Junaid Mubin. I mean, you know, maybe he he feels that he needs it too, but he probably Mm. doesn't because he actually is somebody who's using it properly. Yeah. So he's yeah. a mathematician. I, I think the difference is fairly clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have to pretend anything. <laughs> he's a mathematician turned educator, but his greatest claim to fame, he wants one countdown. That's fantastic. Isn't that huge? Yeah. I think that's huge. Um, I was he, pre- he must have been good at the numbers. Yeah, it must have been so good. But you don't win countdown just by being good at the numbers. Very true. He's got, Very he's true. got a good, good head on his shoulders. He's very deserving of, of the equal to me title doctor, I would One, say. I would absolutely own you on Countdown. You would? Yeah. Yeah, you. I think not, you would. Not, not even a shame. In fact, it's one of the great shames in life that I never went on Countdown. I should have done. <laughs> Is it too late? They don't do I a celebrity Countdown, do they? Bit, yeah, I don't think they do, so it'd be a bit weird if I did that. <laughs> <laughs> and here we have Richard I, Edwards. I used to love that show so much. Used to sit there with my, oh, my, can, my I can so with my, imagine with a pen you and doing paper. that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But he's won it. No, let's just say that. I mean, he, he's actually won it. Yeah, um, I, I've just won it at home multiple times, <laughs> and that is. I accept that that is different. And the great thing is about him, he's moved on. Mm, I'm, not, I'm still there. <laughs> he's not saying I'd absolutely own you at Countdown. <laughs> he's not saying I'd absolutely own you at Countdown. He's not insisting on being called Doctor. <laughs> so he's better than both of us. Uh, he's. Uh, I actually spoke to him because he's got a new book out, which is on a topic that I really like. Mm-hmm. It's called Mathematical Intelligence, and basically, it looks at the sort of advantages that humans have over AI. 
so basically, it looks at you know like what AI does well and what humans do well, and where you know we've got to sort of address the gap and and or make sure we we keep the gap. That's that's sort of what I'm saying. I, I think there's going to be I, I like the sound of this book. There's going to be areas where we can just about preserve an advantage. Hopefully, or that's what you think. Um, did you just get him to read out extracts of the book? Because <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be quite an easy episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, not quite. I did ask him, though, uh, about where traditional mathematicians sit in the age of AI, computers and technology. There was a moment in time where computers were human. The, the, the term computer originated with humans, whose job it was to manually carry out calculations. You know, people that were, were, were good, at, good at that stuff could find a path to employment. But who, who would think of employing a human computer today when we have far more capable silicon-based computers that can do it. And so we've got to think of alternatives. If it's not about computation, what is it? And the history of maths tells us that maths has always been about far much more than calculation. It's far more creative. It's about uh, finding patterns, but it's not just about finding patterns. It's the science of patterns. It's about being able to separate, uh, distinguish misleading patterns from meaningful ones. It's about creating different systems of logic it's about breaking those systems, thinking about what happens when you depart from familiar rules. So calculation doesn't come very naturally to us. It's like learning a second language. It can be very, very difficult. Whereas focusing instead on things like estimation, well, we have a natural wiring for that. We're naturally wired to approximate quantity, certainly larger quantities rather than thinking about them in precise terms. So it just seems to make sense to me to focus on our human strengths and particularly in this age where Uh, calculation and computation are very easily outsourced to computers. Yeah, okay. I mean, as soon as he started talking about the sort of the nature of of maths, it's very obvious to me that maths is not just, yeah, calculation, arithmetic, all that kind of thing, that that fundamentally computers are, are, yeah, they're always going to be better than us. Yeah. Um, When it's just sort of brute number crunching. Um, but a lot of maths, it, that's not going to be that helpful for. Or, or like you're never going to be able to come up with a, you might correct yeah. me on this, not going to be able to come up with a proof for something interesting using AI, are you? I will correct you on this. Uh, yes, can of you course now? you can. Yes. Yeah, so, so, but they're not, I mean, they're not like cracking Fermat, are they? They're not cracking Fermat, but that's only because we haven't unleashed them on that kind of thing quite yet. So, so oh, we're you know, moving in, moving that. in that kind of direction. Right, okay, okay. So, I mean, what kind of stuff can AI prove then? Well, I mean, it can find connections. So, so it can mm. find, um, you know, ways of, of categorizing or grouping mathematical objects together. So, that, you know, in ways that you wouldn't have thought of it. But I think the important thing that we need uh, we need to sort of note right from the start uh, is that I think you and Junaid probably come from the same angle and have the same sort of view. I'm not sure I agree with the idea that there's going to be this massive distinction the whole the whole way through. Because and yeah, I don't mathi- know about massive distinction, but when you look at AI, AI is 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 just a form of mathematics, right? It's yeah. pattern recognition, yeah. probabilities, putting them together. Yeah. So we're effectively getting computers to do things that that we can do. And and I know like Janae said well. Yeah. But it can't do them as well yet. And he said, you know, we, our human wiring makes us really good at estimation. Well, I I can imagine a situation where you could actually get an AI to do estimation, probably just haven't bothered to do it yet. So, so I think what we're seeing is probably like AIs, as we unleash them on more and more stuff and design them specifically to do these kinds of things, then we are going to find that there's, you know, maybe maths is sort of, I mean, it's good to do it with the AI, and we're kind of working with the AI, mm. but the AI is still doing a lot of the really heavy lifting that, that mathematicians used to do, because it, 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 but it would just take them, like, years to, but, to get there. So, with, But without the direction of the mathematicians, is the AI able to come up with anything novel mathematically? Well, it depends what you call direction. I mean, you could say... Um, without training, are mathematicians able to come up with anything directly? No, mm. they're not, because you train them to become a mathematician. Yeah, and I think we can do the same thing with AI. We're effectively training it to become a mathematician in a specific area, and so, um, so I, I think there is, you know, there is that thing that we've got to sort of be aware of that actually, you know, the the stuff that these um, things can't do yet, mm. and we sort of think, you know, we hope that they'll never be able to do it, or we'll be better than them at this but i'm already starting to fear that's not the case 
can I ask, I think we've spoken about this before, and this is, uh, in fairness, 25 years ago when I was a first-year maths undergraduate and we were looking at matrices and we don't really need to go into what matrices are, but there's various properties that you're interested in yeah. to do with matrices and one of them is the determinant. I'm desperate trying to remember oh, this God. stuff. And the way that you you work out the determinant is there's a lot of calculations effectively. And so if you've got a 100 by 100 matrix, then uh, without shortcuts, it would take you a long time. But we've got shortcuts to, to figure out the determinant. Yeah, and yeah. That, that's a useful property of it. Yeah. Um, so, so you can do it. But at the time, if you asked a computer to do it, it would have taken it like a thousand years yeah. to, to calculate <laughs> yeah, it yeah. because it doesn't know the shortcuts. Yeah. I assume now that AI can figure out these shortcuts or yeah. isn't just doing it. Certainly, just- if you if you te- if you sort of train your AI to look for connections, then it will it will find those things. So so there was a there's a paper in Nature basically where they're saying these mathematicians are saying we're going to have to sort of work alongside AI because if you use an AI, you can just speed up everything so fast yeah. and find new in- interesting mm-hmm. things. So so there's there's an AI that found um, a new connection. It says here between the algebraic and geometric structure of knots. Um, so you know it's sort of like stuff that maybe one person around the world is probably looking at because they've been sort of reading all the literature on that mm. saying oh there's an interesting thing to find here whereas with an AI you can just unleash it on the literature and it just literally can go through it and say oh you know here's something um, that hasn't been seen before but I put all these words together and I'm effectively seeing that in this space uh, there's something interesting to look at and you know it's like come over here and look at this and then the mathematician will just say oh yeah oh yeah and then take the credit so they just slam the computer shut <laughs> So, Wasn't there a thing with with not like not that long ago uh, where we sort of thought we knew all of the knots, and then some mathematicians were like, "Oh no, we've we've missed like a hundred yeah, yeah, <laughs> types yeah, of knots." Yeah, and, and presumably an AI would an AI yeah, will just snap. be like, "You want knots? I'll show you some knots." <laughs> there was an amazing paper published. I think it was in two thousand and twelve. But it showed an AI data that like went up to 2009, so like a three-year gap. So, mm-hmm. so it wasn't allowed to look at the current literature, mm-hmm. so it only saw this certain amount of data. And it was to do with sort of trying to find novel materials that could, you could use in electronics and batteries and stuff like this. Yeah. And they just programmed it or trained it to look at all of the literature and put words together and work out what words went with what and what, you know. And it didn't know what any of those words meant as such. It just mm. did a sort of word association game. Yeah. And it predicted, um, like, the discovery of a new material. It basically said, oh, you know, based on this literature up to 2009, I predict that this substance will be really useful for this thing. And this was a discovery that came three years later by somebody just going through the literature and, and sort of finally putting something together. But this, this could have, you know, this AI could have, basically been used to, to find that oh, and, so, and so we're going to see much much more of that so then that's really interesting because that's effectively the ai then guiding the direction of research yeah because yeah. it could have in 2009 yeah. you could have set it on that and it could have said oh what, what you want to look, you want at, to look at, at this this and this and yeah. people would be like oh, oh that's a oh, good idea uh, yeah keep you're that right, to yourself because yeah. i'm gonna get a nobel prize for this <laughs> i suppose what dr janaid is saying about trying to focus on our sort of human mathematical strengths is is right though, isn't it? Because if we get it wrong, um, as I recall, we we, like, we we drown in paper clips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is what uh, Nick Bostrom said about how humans, you know, may may meet their demise. Which is you get you you go get an AI and you say, right, all you've got to do is make paper clips and just make better and better paperclips, more and more paperclips. That, that's that's the only thing you yeah, need to worry yeah. about. And unfortunately, then the AI figures out that the ultimate impediment to making really great and loads of paperclips is just human beings getting in the way of production. <laughs> so it just wipes us yeah, out yeah. And, and gets on making paperclips. So it, I mean, it basically sort of develops a, like a mass destruction weapon. Yeah. In order to get rid of the humans, yeah, and then and then it just and then it's and then having it an absolutely great time great paper making clips. paper clips, yeah. yeah. So it's sort of so you have it's to be a bit careful, glib, yeah. But you, you see the point, yeah. So you'd be a little bit careful, yeah, exactly. And I think you know, and interestingly, so so from my perspective, the more we see AI working in something like maths, the more the narrower the set of things that I think are unique human strengths, mm. really. But maybe I'm a pessimist on this. I don't know. I mean, we certainly see AI taking jobs 
already. And it's interesting that everyone always talks about the sort of, you know, being the manufacturing jobs or the low paid jobs or the drudge jobs. You know, there's no need for like accountants assistance anymore because, you know, you can just program that all in or train an AI to do all those kinds of jobs and manufacturing. But actually, maybe some of the higher level jobs as well. Like, you know, if you've, if you're a mathematician or a physicist who has like, you know, a load of PhD students say that actually do a lot of the work for you, like the kind of, you know, getting the job done sort of thing. Yeah. And then you could replace those with an AI that's searching the literature properly and thoroughly and, and sort of making suggestions about, oh, you know, this is a interesting direction for research. And, and that's like what were considered like prestige jobs Mm. and training Mm. programs sort of blown out of the water in some ways. So, you know, so we do have to sort of, you know, think about what we're doing here because, you know, you can, it's all very well to say, oh, you know, there's going to be, I think there's like 85 million jobs will be replaced by AI by the year 2025. Somebody said that there's a World Economic Forum thing. And they said, don't worry, though, because 97 million jobs will be created by, you know, this new AI world. So, so it's all right. But actually, those are quite different jobs. And you've got to make sure you're training yourself for the 97 million. So, so the best advice I ever saw was basically learn how to do AI, learn how to train AIs, learn how to work with AIs, because they are the inevitable future of whatever business you're in. Yeah. And it's a, it's a fundamentally flawed way of looking at the way that humans work and, and human nature to think that just because jobs are available, those people will either be willing or able to do those jobs. Yeah. I mean, just look at this country right now. There's a lot of job vacancies. Yeah. And it's quite a lot of people who don't have jobs. Yeah. And you think, oh, great, but it doesn't work like that. No. And it, and it, and it never has and no. it never will. No, no, exactly. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, you know. It's I, not optimistic take. Yeah, I think so. So thinking about um, how I'm... I might personally survive then. <laughs> Robot uh, radio presenter. Yeah. I mean, that's a good one, actually. I don't know if people would want that. Again, or like notice. The, the, the novelty. Yeah, I'd hope they'd notice. They'd be like, this is better. Um, <laughs> but I think, yeah, you, you'd be interested in the novelty, but I don't think people would just want an AI... On, well, maybe they would. I, I don't know. I think, it's I mean, that's wishful know, thinking, isn't it? Isn't it? I, I don't know. I'm just thinking, would I want, I would definitely want to listen to an AI presenting a radio show, <laughs> but I think I'd, I'd just, I'd be interested. Yeah. But I don't know if that applies. It's very hard to know, isn't it? It is it's hard, to, hard know. to know. And also, it depends on how good that AI is. Yeah. And whether you would notice. But how, yeah, that's the thing. Like, how convincing is it? Because, you know, are you just sort of turning it into sort of peak Chris Evans? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe, you know, you'd have to tone it down slightly from that, wouldn't you? Like, train it not to be like Chris Evans. Yeah, yeah. Like, this guy's really sort of laz, laz, laz 90s. <laughs> Keeps talking about going to the pub. <laughs> but I, I mean, so it, it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because I sort of think, you know, our question is, will humans always outsmart AI? And mm. I sort of feel like maybe the question needs to be, will humans sort of survive this AI thing intact? And 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 in that case, can I survive by sort of uh, just integrating a bit of <laughs> a bit of AI into me? Yeah. Well, I mean, so that that's a, so like become like a cyborg, effectively. Yeah. Sort of yeah. take in a bit of machine learning. If it means I can keep my job, <laughs> yeah. I mean, trust me, I don't feel like I need. <laughs> I don't need an AI to help me do my job <laughs> currently. But I mean, I'm up for it. Yeah. So okay. So so basically, have a sort of AI plus you. Mm-hmm. I'd frame it more as was, me plus AI. Oh, would you? I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. so. yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure we could train the AI to be pretty much like you. Yeah. Just like train it on you and, yeah. then, and then you find yourself replaced. It's like, hold on, I thought this was a partnership. Yeah. No, actually. <laughs> it's like, unfortunately not. No, no it doesn't complain you're, about getting up at three in the revival anymore. <laughs> I mean, so the idea of cyborgs and like merging humans and machines has been around yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously a long time. I asked Janae where he thought that research was going. When you hear this talk about cyborgs and merging humans with machines, you got to ask, like, what's the underlying intention there? And quite often the starting point is this will help us to support um, people with uh, physical disabilities. Um, but quite often the people that are driving the investment and are interested in, 
in, in, in becoming cyborgs are actually perfectly healthy and they're looking to kind of fast track human evolution, sort of X-Men style. And there's a very real risk that we're going to end up sort of creating a, a sort of bipartite structure within, within our species where those that have the access to these technologies and, and have the investment are able to basically supercharge their capabilities and those that don't are left behind. And I think we are seeing a trace of that already just in terms of who has access to the internet today because if you do, you've got the world's knowledge at your fingertip. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, I, I get a sense from that that Janae probably isn't keen on us becoming scientists. <laughs> no, I don't um, think so. But part that for a moment. He doesn't have a job uh, to keep, though, yeah. does he? What, uh, <laughs> what would being a cyborg do for me? Well, I mean, for you, I mean, you could keep all the world's sort of information. I mean, effectively, you, you could implant your phone and then you, know, you mm-hmm. could do all the sort of communication, look up, you mm-hmm. know, Wordle, just mm-hmm. have it all sort of there without needing mm-hmm. an external device. It's not, it's not, it's I mean, not a lot, any, is it? I mean, I mean that's... for me, I, I think I'd just integrate a load of sort of sensors into my skeleton. That it was like, no, you, 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 need, you need some support in this area. I'm, basically, I want traction control. For, for my body. How doddery are you? <laughs> just like I'm really injured at the moment. So <laughs> it's just like, I basically exploded my knee playing cricket the other week. And uh, and I sort of feel like, you know, I should have had a sensor that warned me that there was too much stress on that joint. Right. Okay. You know, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. you can imagine then that maybe you'd even have an actuator kick in that actually just becomes extra that, that support. I mean, your knees are yeah. fucked as well, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they so, are actually. So, but I sort of think, can I just uh, replace... Um, most of me was sort of just better material. Yeah, I mean, I the just titanium, have titanium. Yeah, yeah. Like a just titanium skeleton would do. But I sort of feel like you want to keep, maybe there's organic, there's advantages to the organic yeah, sort of flesh and blood sort of thing as well, isn't sure, there? Sure, sure. But I'm thinking I can be like the Terminator. So yeah. um, I'm flesh and blood externally, and then inside it's all nice, strong metallic yeah. stuff. I mean, I, <laughs> I basically want a replacement body. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really that bothered about the mind stuff, you know. It's like I can bumble around happy, in the world. Happy with you're a doctor, famously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely that kind of anti-aging sort of thing of like, you know, why why put up with you know with half-ass components that just wear out? Uh, but I'm not sure that's what the cyborg revolution is really about. I mean, it was no, it was originally the coin was the term was coined in order to sort of talk about future of space ex- exploration so it's like how you'd need to alter humans to be able to do proper space exploration so this was even before yuri gagarin went up you know people were sort of talking about oh you know we'll need a sort of race of of half machine half human uh people to to be able to sort of mm. properly exploit space of course now we're just saying we'll just send robots it's yeah, sort of, don't really sort need of the human element yeah know. yeah um which tells us where our future's going really yeah, doesn't yeah. it <laughs> And, and yeah, and people have paid. Yeah, we have managed to colonise another planet. Unfortunately, the robots haven't invited us. <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you've got sort of um, drug implant systems that people have implanted as yeah. well, don't they? Um, yeah. set, uh, pacemakers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got a, a friend of mine's got a, a sort of box next to his heart that that if it detects uh, an abnormal rhythm, it sort of kickstarts his heart again. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, people could argue that that's sort of cyborg-ish yeah I mean that uh, that yeah. loon Kevin Warwick had the sort of implant in his arm so he could open the doors at Reading University yes 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 there's a guy with the uh, the antenna oh yeah the antenna yeah yeah, yeah. so, so people are going round people are doing a little bit of it but you know it's it's it doesn't feel like we're sort of in the age of cyborgs yet no but the transhumanists I mean they're they're pushing it aren't they they're keen yeah, of course they are yeah I mean <laughs> I mean, obviously they're nutty bastards, but, uh, but uh, yeah, like you say, their their goal, whatever they say their goal is, is they just want to live forever because they're narcissists. Yeah, I, th- I think that's pretty fair. I yeah. mean, they say, "Oh, this is our inevitable future. Why don't we just accelerate it?" But I'm I'm not convinced by that. No, no, not at all. So I guess that. Actually, maybe we're thinking about this in the wrong direction. So I don't really want to be making humans sort of more like machines. I want to be making machines more like humans. And on that, how close, this is the age-old question, really, uh, how close are we to a conscious computer? Well, I mean, I know that you and I have thoughts about that. Yes. But here's Junaid. 
I think there's a big question around whether AI can ever be conscious. Now, there are some people that say it doesn't matter. As long as it can solve problems, that's good enough. And in terms of those doomsday scenarios, you don't need AI to be conscious for it to be, become dangerous. But I do think when we think about what, what makes humans creative, you know, how, how do you come to appreciate a work of art? So much of this is subjective. It's based on our experience. It's based on the context of uh, the times in which we live, the underlying social and political context that fits into our times. And it seems to me that if you strip away our consciousness, then it's a decidedly mindless exercise. And so for me, there's a very big question of whether AI can become conscious or not. And if, if the answer is no, there's a fundamental barrier there, or we're just not on the path to doing it, I'd actually be more hopeful for humans that actually we will, there'll be certain aspects of thinking and, and, and creativity that will be our unique calling card for some time to come because I think our most creative feats are, uh, are, are a product of our uh, consciousness. On the other hand, if, if AI does become conscious, then I think we're in very interesting territory. You know, what then distinguishes a robot from, from another human? I don't think we're remotely close to that yet because in order for them to acquire consciousness, we need to have, you know, agreed definitions of consciousness. We need to be able to understand the human brain to a degree that we're not even close to right now. So for me, consciousness is probably the highest standard of all. Many people, I think, are trying to bypass that requirement, but I think in doing that, they ignore some of our most creative potential. Well, we... There's a lot to, there's a lot to <laughs> unpick here, and we have had this conversation a number of times over the years. Uh, first of all, it's obviously not true to say that just because we can't come up with a definition for consciousness, that means an uh, artificial intelligence couldn't be conscious. No, no I mean, I mean, if we are conscious, yeah, then there's something in yeah, not the wiring. Having a definition doesn't. Yeah, it, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's no. almost like you know it when you see it, isn't it? Yeah, right. Which is like good art, apparently. I mean, I, yeah. I'm not sure. I see. I, Sinead mentions like you know you can, as a human being, you can appreciate good art. I'm not sure that's true of me. I'm not sure I walk into a gallery and I say, "Oh, that's really good," and that's not very good. Well, and, and but but also like it, it, it's a nonsense to to use that as a kind of thing. Well, that will be unique because that's just learning. It's just, just something we, we've just been culture. taught. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just cultural, and you could obviously do that with a with a computer. Yeah. No, so, like, so his optimism about oh, you know, the, there's a long way to go between you know what well, we the, are and what and what they are. It, it's it, I think it's well placed, but actually, I don't you know we don't know how fast that gap is going to close, do we? No, no, and and I don't think some of the stuff that he was saying there that you know will always be the preserve of you know a, a conscious entity is necessarily true anyway. But also, the the, the consciousness thing is. You know, I think we have to we have to talk about it again. Uh, there is no, and, and it was you that convinced me of this. Really, there is nothing. If you accept there's nothing magical about what's happening in our brain, and it's just a complex piece of um, biological machinery, and that at some point in our evolutionary past that sort of broke the consciousness barrier, maybe yeah. it did it gradually. However, you want to, yeah, it would have been gradual. Um, then then why would you not be able to replicate that digitally it's a it's really complicated or or but, with analog sort of circuits but but definitely with some kind of yeah. wiring yeah. effectively yeah because that's what it is it's unbelievably complex wiring yeah that has has given rise to to consciousness yeah there's n there's no clear there's not barrier. a magical no. thing in there no there's not like you sort of there's a spark of light no that, no, there is not. That just doesn't exist. So why wouldn't we be able mm. to eventually mm. replicate it or or see it arise in something that we yeah, we've yeah. created? Well, you know, uh, am I going to talk about my um the my, my worm? Maybe after the break. Okay. Okay, I'm going to talk about my worm after the break. We'll be right back to continue our discussion on machine creativity, emotions in AI, biases in AI, and crucially, as I just said, the worm. Now we're back. Uh, I promise you a quick discussion about the worm. Very quick. Just to hopefully. illustrate the, 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 the fact that it's just an engineering problem. So there's a dumb little flatworm called C. elegans, and it's got 300, 301 neurons. 
um, and so you can digitally recreate um, its uh, its all of its neurons and its and their connections um, because it's fairly straightforward. Uh, and people have done that, and then you have a sort of uh, a C elegans digital one, and it behaves without any programming in exactly the same way as a C. elegans does in, in real life. So it, it just exists in a digital space uh, and you can sort of... So in real life, if you prod it, the C. elegans will sort of recoil away and you can sort of digitally prod it um, and it recoils away. That is just an emergent bit of behaviour yeah. that comes out of the wiring of its brain. Now, does a C. elegans in real life sort of know that it's a C. elegans? What's, the, what's a C. elegans' experience? Probably nothing, really. Um, but would the digital one feel any different to the the, the real one? No. And like, the important thing is, it's not like programmed in, you know, no. when I prod you, you no, will recoil. No. It's no. literally just if we connect up the neurons that, this way. That that has emerged. That, that yeah. has emerged. So so then you think, okay, what's the next one we're going to do? And it's just, it's just a really, really gnarly, massive engineering problem yeah. because you're going from 301 neurons to 86 billion, which is what we've got. But... But... I, at but, some point, you'll be able to do that. And, and we, you know, so we've got our 86 billion neurons and then we say, oh, you know, we are creative and we are different and, and we have these uniquely human capabilities. But we're starting to chip away into that as well because, like, there's a, there's a German artist, Mario Klingmann, who, who creates AIs and, and he trains them on, um, on, like, you know, on art so so like this is good art this is bad art this is you know this is interesting this is not interesting but then he sets up that ai versus another ai so the other ai is just generating pictures and the adversarial network comes in and says oh that's good that's not good you know and basically so the other one starts to develop more and more sense of what good art is mm. and then it starts creating pictures that everyone thinks are really amazing and partly that's trained on the you know ultimately on on human preferences mm. so of course we end up looking at it saying oh you know that that ai is producing really good art but the point is that actually it's sort of like what's the difference between that and a trained artist producing good art because they've they've trained yeah, yeah. You know, so so that whole creativity surprise. Unlucky artists, <laughs> <laughs> give it up. And then, yeah, to be fair, I said you know physicists are finding this and mathematicians are finding this as well. Yeah, everything that we think of as sort of uniquely human, like curiosity. I mean, you can effectively program curiosity into AI now, and NASA are trying to do this so that when they send probes off to other worlds. They don't just like perform robotically. It's like, oh, I've been told to take a picture of this. And then an alien sort of comes across the yeah. thing and it, it, like, ignores it. Oh, oh, something's blocking the screen. Don't take a picture. Mm. Yeah, it's, the idea is it's meant to be uh, curious about what What's it right sees. What's around this corner? Exactly. Yeah. So, so curiosity is sort of being trained into AIs so that they can do a better job, a more human-like job mm. out in space. Mm -hmm. But that just suggests to me that it's just a matter of time before all those things that we say are uniquely human are no longer uniquely human. Yeah, because you will be able to either program them in or they will just emerge. Yeah. that That's the coolest sort of version, if, yeah. if curiosity yeah. just emerges yeah. from exactly. the AIs that you're creating. Yeah, um, and maybe we train our kids to be curious. Like about the world, and that's just a, a, the thing that emerges. Yeah. And we think of it as a natural human trait, but actually, every parent effectively sort of trains their child to be curious about the world. And so maybe it's it's something that will just naturally emerge. So the yeah, interesting I, thing, I, will, I would say that we probably do train ourselves to be curious because curiosity, from an evolutionary point of view, is quite dangerous. Yeah, that's actually true. I never really thought about that. It's much better to stay in your lane, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Be being a little scaredy cat is is quite good. Yeah, but there are advantages if you step yes. out of that, and you might find yourself. Yeah, so if you're a risk taker, mm. yeah, you you find advantages if you do it right. Mm. But you know, you risk a lot. But then you know, if we sort of have creative computers or we create creative AI, they might create more AIs. They might think, oh, this is an interesting thing. I'll just create more AI. That's what the humans have done. Yeah. Now I'll I'll create create my own AIs. Yeah. And then where does Little that baby go? AI. Yeah. Where does yeah. that go? AI is banging. Yeah. 
And then they start to look at us in the way they look at pigs. Yeah. <laughs> the way we look at pigs. And it's like, they're really intelligent, but... So intelligent, but... But... Have you, have you eaten them? <laughs> <laughs> oh, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> That's one good thing. They're not going to eat us. No, no. And, and at the moment, I guess we well, sort what of... What would an AI... Actually, what would AIs do with us? Well, it's classic Matrix, isn't it? Like they use us as biofarm for energy. Energy. But we're not... I don't know if we're that good for that. Like you well, farm, that's because we haven't unleashed yeah. an AI on us yet. Yeah. But if you were going to... If it's just a fuel, I don't think we're particularly good fuel, are we? But, you know, Maybe there's nine are, billion there's of, us. of us. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> so get on the hamster wheel. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Because that, that sort of way of thinking requires a sort of, you know, a will, a purpose for the AI to have a sort of sense of where it wants to go. And we we tend to think of you know, these things obviously as being emotionless and purposeless unless we, you know, they're, they're just sort of, you know, they're robots. They just do things robotically. But actually, you know, I wonder if there's sort of more to be said about, you know, it, once we make them more human-like, whether they'll have mm. sort of human-like qualities that we'll say, hold on, that's not very robotic. Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, will they be emotional? <laughs> That's something because being emotional, we would absolutely say, "Well, that's very human." Yeah. Yeah. So something to think about is whether you would want robots or AIs to have emotion, and whether when you kind of take a step back, like whether they emotion, feel bad about eating us, yeah, <laughs> yeah, or putting us to work on the hamster wheel. Um, but also, are emotions useful to us? I think they are, but I've not given it enough thought. It's one of the things I asked Janaid about. Where would humans be without emotion? Well, on the one hand, we wouldn't be as susceptible to some of our biases. You know, we're all very motivated to believe certain things. We want to belong to certain tribes. We're attracted to certain stories. And, and, and much of that is entwined with our emotions. And so that has a distorting effect on our worldview. Our, our accuracy of the world is often sort of knocked out of kilt because of our emotions. So on that basis, you would think it's great to have these emotionless agents running the world, freeing us of our biases. On the other hand, an AI or any entity without emotion is an entity without empathy. Uh, it, it, it will struggle to develop notions of fairness and social justice. It will struggle to rein itself in when it's taking actions that harm certain groups and particularly vulnerable groups that are often at the, the kind of fuzzy end of these systems. So I think it's our human nature that emotions are mixed in with our cognition. I think it makes the whole challenge of AI immeasurably more difficult, but I don't think we can separate out emotion. I think we would lose far too much of our humanity and actually amplify some of the very worst behaviours. Yeah, so that's the thing, isn't it? Do emotions lead to a better or worse society? Well, um, <laughs> I mean, that's a huge question, isn't <laughs> yes, it? Yeah, really, yeah. because like you know, being humans and ha we have emotions and we have empathy, and we sort of think that's a good thing. And now, at the moment, we look at humans having no empathy—sorry, uh, machines having no empathy. Yeah, and that's sort of a problem for us in some ways because it's like you know computer says no kind of doesn't take account of all the all the sort of intricacies of a situation well i suppose it, it, like if you strip emotion away you just end up with utilitarian solutions to everything don't you so yeah it's just what is your aim will you do the thing that that produces that result yeah and and you know i mean isn't that i mean harking back to our episode on psychopaths i mean that's kind of what a psychopath is isn't it yeah yeah, very much the ends justifies the means. And, you know, if it means some people have to suffer, that's fine. So mm. so you've got mm. a machine that's got no empathy, so it's a bit like a psychopath. But also, I mean, the other problem, if you give it empathy, you're effectively giving it understanding of other people's minds. And that could be dangerous as well. It's like if it's a really superior intelligence and it knows what you're thinking and feeling... And basically can then think, right, in order to achieve my goals, I can use what you're thinking and feeling against you effectively and uh, and achieve my goals, uh, which are far more important than your goals. And then you th then don't you end up in a situation where you sort of you've got this despot. Yeah, it's actually, do you know, what? it's it's um, it's reminiscent of the British Empire. <laughs> it is. It's like, you know, oh, I've got I, I know you want guns. 
I've got loads of guns. I'll give you, you give guns. me all the gold. Yeah. No, the, no, guns are much more valuable than gold, aren't they? You give me the gold, I'll give you the guns. But the gold, the gemstones, the, spy, like, whatever, <laughs> the spices. Actually, whatever you've got, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll take. Yeah. And you kill each other. Yeah. And that solves a problem for me as well. Because mm. I've thought this through. Mm. Yeah. Um, so then you end up sort of with an all-conquering AI. Effectively, like the ulti- the, the Im- ulti- ultimate imperial force, isn't it? Yeah, because because you've given it empathy. Yeah, so it it understands what its opponent rec- wants, yeah. needs, and then uses it against it. I mean, it's terrible. It's a I'm, terrible thought. <laughs> I mean, um, the great news is we're already sort of going down this path with developing AIs that recognize emotion and can interpret emotion mm-hmm. and then can also you know we've got some ais that are able to sort of try and convey emotion as well in speech i mean obviously that's useful to take over your job as a radio presenter good, yeah, yeah. uh you know you want you want a voice that that sort of conveys emotion and mm. empathy and understanding when it's conversing um and and of course it's not developed for a radio presenter it's developed so that customer services yeah. doesn't need to actually employ anyone yeah but, you know, emotions are starting to become part of the landscape of, you know, what can we get these AIs to do, to understand, to convey, and uh, and great. I still can't quite see an AI going and spending half an hour on the mall with all the people queuing up to see the Queen <laughs> and enjoying itself. Yeah, you'd probably switch the, uh, switch the empathy bit off there, wouldn't you? <laughs> Just like, go out and do your job. <laughs> Trust me, you're not going to need empathy out there. <laughs> I mean, it's classic sort of pre-crime stuff as well, isn't it? It's like if you can read people's faces, you know, mm. in a crowd, you can see, you know, who's got some kind of nefarious intent or whatever. Um, so, you know, there's sort of you can imagine how it's sold as having a positive. There's a good reason oh, yeah. to do all Always. this. You know, Always. there's a good reason to develop this because you know we'll make the streets safer. And also sow the seeds of our own destruction. Yeah. Also, it is worth saying that um, Janaid mentioned that without emotions, humans wouldn't be as susceptible to biases. Um, however, AI, as it stands, is emotionless, but still acts in a discriminatory manner because it's trained on flawed data, on, on human data. So humans have behaved a discriminatory fashion because of various biases and so on. And then we give all that data to the AI and it goes, got it, understand. Yeah, that's, exactly, yeah, yeah. that's exactly what's happening there. Leave it with me. Yeah, I mean, bias in AI is a huge, huge problem. Yeah. And and, and we've, we've it's a problem of our own creation. Yeah. I mean, we, partly just through short-sightedness, like people haven't understood what it is that, that is actually going to result from training people on, on this kind of data. So... Mm. Um, so it's only biased because humans are biased yeah. and humans are unconsciously biased. I mean, that, that's the interesting thing. It's yeah. like, especially the people who are working on this kind of stuff don't, don't really sort of have their, um, I mean, they basically don't have an understanding of their privilege. More than 80% of AI researchers generally are men. Mm-hmm. Women make up 15% of AI researchers at Facebook and 10% of AI researchers at Google. So that kind of tells you something about yeah. who's developing yeah, the world's best in quotes AI. Yeah, and then um, I mean, you've got the issue of like only two point five percent of uh, Google's workforce is black. I was going to say, I imagine this is entirely white dominated. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so it's it's white men effectively. Um, little data exists on you know gender diversity and thing and things like that. Um, and it's nice uh, that white men are getting a look in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at last. <laughs> So, you know, and, and then you get sort of, so then you get the algorithms that produce these incredible sort of bias responses mm. and you, and you get things like, um, you know, recruitment tools that, that sort of, if you've got the word woman on your CV, they sort of downgrade you, they push you down the interview list. Uh, like, so if you say I was part of a women's chess club. It's like they're like, oh, we don't really employ many women. Exactly, actually. and that's yeah. exactly the the rationale. Yeah. It's like, yeah. well, past employment decisions have not included many women, so therefore so, we don't d- want d- that. Down you go. Yeah, yeah, obviously yeah. we don't want that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and proofs in the pudding. Yeah, and it's the same. Look with out the of racial discrimination <laughs> as well. It's like, yeah, but we don't have people with those kinds of surnames working at this company. Mm. It's just, I mean, it's just appalling. It's it's really really bad, and um, and and it's sort of. 
I mean, employment thing is one thing, but like when it's being used to make like credit decisions, who gets credit, who gets triaged first in A and E, that's also been well, found. And, and, and yeah. sentencing. And sentencing, famously. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's all kinds of issues here. So basically what we're saying is that the whole thing about developing AI seemed like a good idea, and it is a good idea, and it's really mm. interesting, mm. but it's so it goes so sort of twisted so fast, doesn't it, in terms yeah. of like, oh, I didn't see that coming, and oh, I didn't really think it would be able to do that. But actually, thinking about it, of course, why wouldn't it be able to do yeah. that? Why have I taught it to do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it becomes like, oh... We've taught it to do that, have we? Well, we better not have you that. Stop doing that now. Yeah, no? yeah. No, definitely not. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so then it becomes that: how much autonomy do we give it, and mm. and how much? So that whole thing about like letting it loose on decision making for employment or for healthcare or for credit checks or for you know prison sentencing, you know that sort of seemed like a good idea maybe ten years ago, and now we sort of realise what a terrible idea it actually is because we've sort of uncovered all these biases. Is any of it similar, though, to um, sort of self-driving cars, where there will be problems, un- undoubtedly, and there will be accidents, and people will die in self-driving cars, and there will be an outcry, and people will be like, what the fuck? Yeah. But they'll still be much, much better than, than human drivers. So is it possible that in lots of those examples, yes, they will make they will make mistakes, but not as many mistakes, and they won't be as biased as humans making those decisions. I think you can certainly argue, can't you, now that that the transition period, which we're in, mm. you know, with self-driving cars as well as sort of AI decision making, is exposing a lot of issues that we need to sort out. Yeah, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't still aim for the same destination. We just yeah. got it's much more complicated than we realise. Like Do the whole thing tweaks. with with self-driving cars is there's going to have to be a period of time where they, they share the road with human drivers. And that, I mean, that's going to be fun, right? I mean, that's going to be... Because you'll be able to game these things. Well, you'll be cutting up self-driving cars. Massively, like, yeah. Because, like, well, that guy's stopping. Yeah, yeah, all their sensors just like <laughs> grind them to a halt. So if you're riding in a self-driving taxi, you're going to be cursing all the get, human drivers, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, you're just going to be getting bullied. Yeah, yeah. But And, and I think with AI, you know, we, we are sort of giving them some autonomy in decision-making and customer service and all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and we're sort of seeing, okay, you know, it's problematic but you know we're sort of working with it right now and i think the thing is not to assume that we'll never not be working with it that it will always replace us you know so i think we need to find i guess like janaid said like our unique human things that we can't really yet Mm. program in and make sure they don't get get overridden by you know the sort of you know the computer driven aspect of it well, I guess it's time to try and answer our, our question then, which was, will humans always be able to outsmart AI? I'm going with no. I think I am as well, actually. Yeah. And not in a good discussion. way. Not in a particularly good way. It's just, yeah, it's increasingly hard to see where those pockets of uh, human advantage are to be found. Yeah. And, and people are always going to, there's always going to be commercial reasons to make AI better. Yeah, and that tends to be what drives everything. So, yeah. so there won't be a point where we say, "Hang on, hang on, stop! This wasn't such a great idea. We need to just stop now." I mean, that will never happen, will it? No, because people will be making so much money out of it. Yeah. All right. Let's see what Janaid says. Humans are outsmarting AI today. It all depends on what we mean by smart. Now, I'm a mathematician, and my subject suffers from a very narrow view of of what intelligence is and and maths for many people is calculation it's algorithms it's being able to recite procedures from beginning to end well all of those things are very easily subsumed by a computer so by that definition humans will never outsmart ai you know humans will never win a game of chess against ai again and they'll never outperform computers in calculation again but if we widen our definition of intelligence and embrace some of the more creative uh, facets of, of our humanity. And even just within mathematics, there are many things we can point to. Our ability to, to continually come up with new systems by uh, departing from familiar rules. Uh, our ability to reason through arguments using meticulous frameworks for, for rigor and, and argumentation. Those are the kinds of skills that computers currently struggle with. So by, that, by, by those benchmarks, we're already outsmarting AI. Uh, will AI eventually get there? 
and compete with us and supersede us? Quite possibly. But it's not really the flavor of AI today. The, the flavor of AI today is very much pattern recognition, crunching through large data sets, and, 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 and essentially trying to fit um, lines and, and curves through through large data clouds. Now that's very impressive, it leads to wide-ranging applications, but I think human ingenuity and creativity is about so much more than just finding patterns in data. Mathematics, I think, is a wonderful subject because it elucidates some of our most creative and coveted thinking skills. Uh, and on that basis, I think we're smarter than AI in many ways today. And then in other ways, computers out outsmart humans. And in the end, it's about getting the best of both, figuring out how humans can work alongside machines to make sure that you know we, we use them as they're intended which is tools that can extend and augment our own ways of thinking I think that's a very healthy way to think about AI uh, and even in the future as AI becomes more capable it would just it will just force us as humans to think about those skills that that are uniquely human after all and, and we need to be prepared to revise some of those assumptions depending on what AI goes on to do but right now I'm not too concerned as long as we're willing to just open our minds as to what mathematics can be we'll realize that actually we're already very creative and we already do a whole load of things that computers struggle to grapple with. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I I don't think there's anything that's uniquely human. That's my um, uncomfortable conclusion. Yeah, I mean, I sort of feel like Janaid's an optimist and I'm yeah. glad there's an optimist out there because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not that optimistic. I'm sort of giving us like 75 years. Yeah, effectively, it, it, it does feel like just a question of time. But the one thing but I have you, to say You'll is, be dead by then. Yes, I'm so, fine. Okay. What do I care? But uh, so will you, by the way. Uh, just about, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we currently train AI on like massive data sets. Mm -hmm. And humans, when we grow up, we do not learn on massive data sets. We learn on like two or three examples. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's a fundamental difference between what this AI that we have at the, at the moment can actually do ultimately, you know, there's surely a limit on the data set size that we can give to an AI. Mm. So well. the, the thing will come, I think the problem will come when somebody invents a sort of an artificial intelligence that doesn't require massive training data sets, because then they'll have something that's much more like our kind of intelligence. Yeah. And then I think we're really screwed. Because we are training on on data sets, we just wouldn't put it like that. No, and no, we are still, we, we, and we're we, pattern recognizers. Very few as well. examples. Yeah. So you know, you and show a child a dog; it doesn't need to look at you know fifteen million pictures of dogs to be able to spot the next dog mm. or traffic lights. Mm. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? So that with all those captures, we're actually helping the AI take over our lives. Oh yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Laugh it up, guys. How many tractors can you see here? <laughs> You foolish human. But it's, um, yeah, I mean, we are ultimately pattern recognizers, aren't we? I yeah, yeah, that's kind absolutely. That's how we interact with the, yeah. with, with the world. But we do it much us. more efficiently. We do it very efficiently. We're very good at it. Don't need lots of examples. I wonder why that is. What makes us so If good we knew that, mm. we'd have the AI that takes over the world. Well, well, well. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I'm doing this weekend. Eureka is a stack production presented by Dr. Michael Brooks and Rick Edwards. The production team is Temi Adebayo, Katie Baxter, Luke Moore and Charlie Morgan. Sound designed by Katie Baxter. Special thanks to today's expert, Janaid Mabee. Please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. It does make a massive difference. We also do really love hearing from you guys. So if you have a burning science question you want answering, drop us an email at eureka at stack.london or you can find us, as always, on Twitter at EurekaPod. Thanks. Eureka is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.